Oh, there you go. Well, welcome to week two of Stay Positive. In this series, we've been trying to think about the things that we think about, right? Because what consumes us controls us. And uh, last week, we reminded the words of Solomon of Proverbs chapter four, be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. And the challenge was this, right, is that we're trending in the direction of our strongest thoughts in our life. Where you find yourself now is probably giving evidence to what has been replaying over and over in your mind in these days. As we saw last week, the key to breaking that and the key to getting where God wants us to be is, right, this whole idea of renewing our mind. Because when we change our thinking, then we change our behavior. And one of the behaviors that I think we need to continue to work at changing as, as a culture and as a people, and it's been this way since the Garden of Eden, is this. One of the behaviors that we find ourselves falling into very easily is this habit of complaining. In fact, the latest research says this, that the average person complains 30 times a day. So this little thing represents our, our heart and all these little complaints that we have and all right, Tyrone, maybe I wasn't quite as agile as you made that out to be, but it was true. But 30 times a day, we complain about, oh, the weather is not here, or I don't have this, or all these kind of things, and it begins to move our heart. In fact, complaining is such a chronic part of our culture that the younger generation has come up with a name for that. And again, as you mentioned, thanks for all the birthday wishes and all that, but every year I get a little farther from pop culture. And so today I have our Gen Z expert, uh, Lainey, to come out. So Lainey, come out and join us here today. Give Lainey a hand. So Lainey, as an older person, we have complained so long and so often that you all have now actually come up with a name for us. Tell us, what do you call it when people complain? We call them Karens. We say, you, thanks, Karen. You call, I apologize to all our Karens here today. You call them a Karen. Now, how has Karens come into your life as a Gen Zer? Well, I, work, I used to work at a cake shop, and you'd be surprised how many people find ways to complain about cake. If you're complaining about cake, we do have a problem, right? Yes. So what would people complain about with cakes? It's like, well, this cake is larger than that cake. Or they're like, can you write on it? Because the cakes we sold had holes in the middle. So I'd have to explain to them, like, sorry, we actually can't write on our cakes. And then there's still those people that are like, can I speak to your manager? <laughs> there's a hole. What? <laughs> I want you to write on a cake with a hole. It. Exactly. Karen's going on yeah. and on. Any other things that you see Karen's roll into your world every day? I'm just trying not... Or they complain about minor inconveniences, trying or things that benefit other people that like slightly been, are inconvenient for them. So just trying to make sure, look out for that. And when they do all that and they walk out of the store, your employees say, well, there goes a... Karen. There goes a Karen. So this morning, I, our sermon title is simply this, Don't Be a Karen. Thank you so much <laughs> as we go. So if you've got your Bibles this morning, let's go to the book of Exodus, chapter 16. If you've got your phones, fire them up to lexcity.info, and we have all the sermon notes and all the things there, because what we want to look about is this, how we don't just get into the habit, right, of being a Karen. We complain about this, and why can't you write on my cake, even though there's a hole in the middle of my cake, and why is that cake bigger than that piece, and on and on we go. So we pick up our story in Exodus, chapter 16, and as we go, it says in verse 1, then the whole community of Israel sent out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin. Between Elam and Mount Sinai, they arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. And there too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. Now think about this. They have now made it 30 days. 
30 days and they're already falling back. They're defaulting to their natural tendencies and their natural way of thinking and their behavior. Nation of Israel, cup half empty as they go, pessimistic, complainers. After, four, think about, after 400 years of slavery, they have been delivered and they can't even make it 30 days before their gratitude turns into grumbling. How, how does this happen? 400 years of oppression. And you can't go 30 days? I'm going to tell you why. It's because grumbling and, and complaining, it's a habit and it's a lifestyle. And it's a hard thing to break that we go. Complaining becomes, if we're not careful, it becomes a part of our culture, right? It becomes a part of the DNA of, of our workplace or of our family if it's not unchecked. So here we have the nation of Israel again after 400 years. They were great at this because they had been practicing complaining for 400 years. When you're in slavery, it's easy to find things to complain about, right? My foreman is unjust. This work is meaningless. Day after day, why? Bigger questions. God, why have you forgotten us? Lord, I cry out, you're not here. This is hundreds of years after hundreds of years. There's no hope. God, I see for my children are going to be in the same cycle that I am. There is no hope in these things. Life is not fair. I see no future. They were good at this. Because the challenge we saw last week is that chronic complainers, two things that tend to be true, right? We tend to put everything through what is personal and what is uh, permanent. Everything's ran to the grid to how this affects me personally. And however I think it affects me, I have this idea that it was never, ever going to change. I talked about last week, this is the idea of pessimistic permanency. I don't even know if it's a word, but it works. That's the nation of Israel. They had this habit, right? And they ran everything through the grid of how it affects them and things will never change. Go back to Exodus chapter 16, verse 3. If only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt. Permanent, right? They moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread that we wanted. But now you have brought us into the wilderness to starve us all to death. When you read this, right, if you didn't know better, you would swear like the children of Israel were just sitting around Egypt eating out of golden pots of food until they were full. If you didn't know the story better, you'd say like, hmm, I didn't know it that way. The Egyptians, they must have been the ones who built all the roads and all the palaces and all the infrastructures. And the nation of Israel, they just napped. A lot of hammock time, a lot of just eating the food as they go. Everything is great. Here's the challenge that we see so many times. We're not careful. Listen, we tend to romanticize the past when we want to complain about the present. See, the good old days probably weren't as good old days as we remember, but we tend to romanticize them as we go. It goes on. In verse 1, we're going to see the biggest danger, right? The biggest danger for complaining in your life, in the life of your family, in the life of your organization, in the life of our church, the biggest danger is this. It starts with this. Go back to verse 1. Verse 1 starts with a phrase, the whole community grumbled. And the danger with complaining is two things. It's contagious and it's toxic. We'll see it over and over. You ever been on a family vacation? And we're going on and one of your kids begins to complain. Oh, the drive's too long. Oh, the food. I don't even like the food. I'm bored. Can we go home? And by the end of the day, the whole family's complaining. Like you're at Disneyland and you want to go home. You ever been in those kind of a situations that it goes? You're at work, right? It only takes one person at work complaining till the workplace becomes toxic. 
you're sitting in the break room and all we're doing is complaining about the foreman and we're complaining about the company and, and on, on and on it goes that we go. And at work, it just takes that one person. And it happens so easily, whether it be our families or whether it be in the workplace, complaining comes so easily and so natural, right? It, it takes no discipline to complain. It takes no character to complain. Actually, complaining comes out of the darkest part of our character of who we are, and it flows so easily. And so here we have in Exodus, we're 20 days into the journey, and a small group, a rabble, begins to look at the supplies that they'd taken out of Egypt and begin to look and say, hmm, I think the supplies, we're getting on the lower half of these supplies. I don't know what's going to happen to us as we go. And so they begin to to think about this, and this little negativity from the small group spreads, not only out of them, but it spreads into an entire nation. If you remember the context of the children of Israel coming out of the nation of Israel, it's three million people. And somewhere between day 20 and day 30, three million people now begin to play, to complain, and toxicity spreads throughout the entire organization. It spreads so quickly. The great philosopher Vanilla Ice once said, Negativity spreads faster than any Justin Bieber song. Is that not true? And so here we go. We're 30 days into the journey. Now, the nation of Israel, what we see here in the first part of Exodus, unfortunately for them, this is not the first time this has happened, and it's not the last time. A little bit later on, Moses takes 12 spies and says, listen, I want you to go out. I want you to spy out the promised land and come back and share with us what you have found in there. So the spies come back and give their report Glass half empty, glass half full. Depends on which spies you ask, right? Two of the spies came back and said, man, I got great news. It's an amazing land that God has provided for us. It's full of milk and honey. Let's take what God has promised to us. Anybody know the names of the two? Yeah, Caleb and Joshua that were there. 10 came back complaining. The walls were too high. The people in the land were giants. They can't, we can't possibly defeat them. Anybody know the name of the 10? Anybody name their children after the 10? You know the example. See, the negative report that the spies came back with the 10 not only had an impact on these 10, but it had an impact on the entire nation that we'll see, which shouldn't surprise us, right? Because in the life of the nation of Israel, they had already formed a culture, a DNA, and a habit of complaining. And so when somebody comes back and complains, it's easy just to jump on board. This was already in the water, so to speak, as they go. Negative report that comes. Continue on and go up to Numbers chapter 14. We see the account of this. When the whole community began weeping aloud, they cried all night. So dramatic. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in the wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? And they plotted amongst themselves. Let us choose new leaders and go back to Egypt. The trajectory, right, the direction of your life is determined by the strongest thoughts that you have. The trajectory of the life of the nation of Israel at this moment is like, let's turn around and go back. Let's put ourselves back under the oppression that we were. At least we knew what that would hold. But here's the challenge and the beauty of it is God wanted more for them in this story. And the beauty for you and I is God wants more for you in our lives. See, your preferred future begins with staying positive. 
Not only that, that your positivity and your encouragement and your hope, right, gives evidence of the salvation that is within you. If you find yourselves always being negative with no hope and always critical, can I just encourage you to to maybe ask the obvious question? And here's simply this. Has Jesus truly transformed your life? Because the evidence... The fruit of our salvation, one of the fruits of that is a sense of positivity and an attitude and things. Philippians 2 says it this way. It says, dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now I am away. It is even more important, here's what he says, work hard to show the results of your salvation. Work hard to give evidence of the faith that's within you, the fruit that's there. Why? By obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Then he goes on in Philippians, he says, this is how there's evidence of the salvation within you. Go back to verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no man can criticize you, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Want to be a bright light in your neighborhood and in your community and in your workplace? Philippians says simply this, stop complaining. In a wicked and perverse culture, he says, if you'll just stop complaining, it will make such a difference. You want to have influence at your work again? Stop complaining about the manager. Stop complaining about the boss. Stop complaining about the company. Find ways to be grateful for the opportunity that you have to provide for those in your life. Here's another thing. If you would take one Find one time in your workway, starting Monday, one time a day to somehow affirm your upline, you would be amazed how they would respond to you differently. You may be the only bright side in their difficult day that they're having. If you're in school today, Philippians 2 says, quit being a mean girl, right? That's all it's really saying. It's just, listen, for our students, middle school, high school, college, listen, you know this. You are surrounded by haters all day long. How about you be a bright light? See, you know the challenge. You're, you're with people. They're just like you. They're all struggling to figure out how this thing works and where their place is in life. This is a hard time to be a student. Even if you're a prom queen, it's a hard day to be a student. Man, if you would say one affirming word, Philippians 2 says, you'll be brightness in the darkness. You got teachers who are discouraged. They're disappointed, they're overworked, they feel immensely unappreciated. Listen, if you could find one affirming thing to speak into the life of your teacher, you'd be the greatest hope in their day. God says, man, this is evidence of your salvation. This is evidence that God is in you and working, that you are uniquely different than the culture. When you're online and your post begins to turn negative, hypothetically, and here's what I just wanna encourage you. Can you be the one who finds a way to give a different perspective and changes the way we think about a conversation, the Bible says, man, what a difference that would be. If you want to change the, the culture and the DNA of your family, then really it just begins with you change the narrative. Philippians says, man, you will shine. I love it. Not just a light, but a bright light in a dark world if you'll just stay positive. A couple more thoughts. So those of you that are influencers, managers, department heads, whether you're a coach, uh, whether you lead your family, whatever it would be, can I remind you simply this? Listen, I've got this written in my office. What you tolerate becomes culture. You're leading what you tolerate becomes culture. Parents may may lovingly say, listen, 
Complaining is a habit, and you have either fostered it, modeled it, or tolerated it. That's why it's in your family. The great news is you can change that. The great news is it's not too late to change culture and DNA, and so there's great hope that's in that your family can form new habits. So parents, if you're saying, I just don't like where we're at, then listen, let me just give you two. Number one is own it. And number two, just sit down and say, hey, we just want to do better together. We're going to work to be more Christ-like in this area. So it's going to begin with me, and I want to encourage you. Let's get the toxicity out. Let's work towards positive. You know how it is. Employers, managers, coaches, church leaders, listen. Guard your culture because your mission can be derailed by a chronic complainer. See, it only took 10 spies to derail an entire nation. Three million people were led astray. It only is going to take one or two to derail the mission of your organization if you allow the culture to stay. Why? Because little things like this, day after day, just begin to fill it up, and all of a sudden the toxicity is here, and you're going to lose your mission over to things. That's why I was excited to share this series with you at this time, in this time in our country, and this time in the life of who we are, because... The wonderful part about this, if we can grasp this concept of staying positive and being encouraging, the Bible says, man, you can stand out in your culture in ways like never before. Positivity is so attractional to people who are far from God because there's a hope there that they can't quite understand. Positivity leads to conversations like this. How can you, I see all the struggles in our culture. How can you can still be positive and hopeful? I see the hurt and the disappointment, the way we're treating one another. How, how can you have any sense of optimism that things will ever change? It gives you a conversation. Your family seems to genuinely love each other. You and your kids seem to care about each other. Why is that? What, what is so different? And the wonderful part is it opens up conversations and your positivity becomes a bridge to the gospel. See, I have hope, not because I'm just trying to be a good person. I have a hope because of what we talked about last week. I don't worry so much about the, what the glass, but let me tell you about the picture and who holds that and the hope that comes from that. If you missed last week, go back and watch it. But the reminder of the gospel is a bridge that's there, and so can I encourage you that it's there. Can you imagine how different the story would be of the nation of Israel? If with the 10 came back with the negativity, wouldn't take them three million, had a handful, had a remnant, stood up in that moment and said, I don't think that's the perspective we need to have. If somebody, a man or woman, would have just stood up and said, listen, let me tell you a little bit more about how that could have done and how God's gonna be with us, it would have changed the narrative of the entire nation of Israel. They would have been in the promised land in weeks rather than Numbers chapter 14 tells us that many, almost all, never made it because of God's judgment. Go back to Numbers chapter 14, verse 22. Not one of these people will ever enter that land. They all have seen my glorious presence and the miraculous signs that I have performed both in Egypt and in the wilderness. But again and again, they have tested me by refusing to listen to my voice. They will never even see the land that I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who have treated me with contempt will ever see it. And as I'm reading this, I was reminded, listen, how personal how personal God took their complaining. He says things like, man, you tested me. You, you treated me with contempt. You, you treated me with disrespect. And God must say, think about all the things I've done for you. I, I've freed you from generational slavery. I, I've gone before you. I, I've promised you a promised land 
flowing with milk and honey, and you will become a nation once again. I've provided every physical need that you have needed on this journey for over three million people. I've given you manna every morning, which you think about it was no small miracle. Think about the manna provided. If each person ate one pound of manna per meal, three meals over that, that's nine to 10 million pounds of manna that showed up every single day. Every day, nine to 10 million pounds. Now you may be, may be like me and like, I get it, Pastor, but let's be honest. If I had to have manna in the morning, the afternoon, in the evening, I think I would begin to complain a little bit about it as I go. Because you may be like me. I always think of manna as being like bad communion crackers, right? It's just these stale little tasteless patties. It's kind of like that health food that some of you all eat, you know, just eat the box because that's about the same what you're getting. That's how I always think about it. But here's the thought that came to me, especially after last week, we thought about God's goodness to us and what heaven provides. Why would the creator of all the things that are so beautiful and amazing make a dull, tasteless manna patty to give to his people? Psalm 78 says it this way, verse 24 and 25. He rained down the manna for them to eat, and he gave them bread from heaven. They ate the food of angels. God gave them all that they could hold. Now again, this simply could mean that the manna came from heaven, that was the the food of angels, but what if it wasn't? What if it was literally the food that angels ate? See, it changes the perspective on how we think about that. Because we know from last week, listen, in heaven, we'll eat, but we won't eat to sustain life. We'll eat simply for the pleasure of eating. And so what I want to just remind you either way, God's provision of manna was a good provision, and it was great. I mean, it was Krispy Kreme in the morning, Krispy Kreme in the afternoon, Krispy Kreme in the evening. You get what I'm saying? It's a good, good thing that we do. But yet they didn't respond that way. And you know how that feels, right? You ever done something meaningful for somebody and just never had them express gratitude? Parents, this is your everyday existence, right? (laughs) Food, shelter, care, provision, and it seems at times that nobody really is that thankful for it. You work hard all day and it doesn't seem like it's ever enough that's there. You've got that roommate, right? You're the only one that keeps your place looking semi-decent and they always leave the dishes in the sink, and you're the one that keeps it clean, and they never seem to acknowledge it, and on and on they go. Here's the deal. Ingratitude feels like rejection. And to you as married couples, let me give this to you one more time. Don't miss this truth. Ingratitude feels like rejection. When you feel like your spouse is taking you for granted, it kills intimacy. The opposite is true, right? When your spouse affirms you, in public and privately, then it builds intimacy into it. Don't miss the importance of doing that both publicly and privately because one gives validation to the other. But the challenge is this, ingratitude feels like rejection. And so this is what the Lord feels when his people grumble against him. Go back to verse 23 again. The Lord says, man, you treated me with contempt and disrespect. How does God feel about your gratitude towards him? How does he feel about his provision of your manna every day? And how have you been responding to him? Are you grateful for what you have? Or do you find yourselves consistently complaining about what you lack? See, that's what made the two spies that went into the land so different. They had this positivity. They had optimism. Go back to Numbers chapter 14, verse 24. But my servant Caleb has a different attitude than the others have. 
He has remained loyal to me. Listen to the words, rejection, loyalty. So that I will bring him into the land he explored. His descendants will possess their full share of that land. What was the difference? It was attitude. We just find it last week for you. Stay positive is simply this. It's the unwavering expectation that our loving God is working in every situation for our future good. The two spies, Caleb, they they had this expectation that God was up to something good, that God had something incredible, that God didn't bring them this far to allow them to fail, right? That God didn't part the Red Sea so they would walk into the land and be destroyed by giants. That God didn't provide them manna every day so someday they would starve in the wilderness. They had this expectation that God was up to something good, that God was working towards their future good. So they were saying, listen, stay positive. Don't get stuck. Keep moving forward. And you know this because you've seen it in people. Listen, so many people will never get where they want to be because they keep complaining about where they're at. And they just sit. And I got this that's not working for me. And these circumstances aren't working for me. And this isn't working. And all of a sudden, they're just stuck here. And it's day after day, the same thing over and over. Listen, when you complain, you remain. But here's the beauty. When you praise, you raise, and you get unstuck from where you're at. Amen? As we go. So Moses tries to teach the people this very thing. He says, back in Deuteronomy, he says, listen, I want to remind you that the condition of your heart your complaining is keeping you stuck. And so in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he simply says this. He says, listen, when you have eaten all your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. So he says, children, I wonder if you can learn this lesson, it'll change everything. It'll get you unstuck. It'll keep you moving. Now, we know, unfortunately, the sad part of the story, they didn't learn the lesson. But he says simply this, listen, you need to learn to be thankful for God for the goodness in your life. If you have food on your plate every day, then you just need to praise God that you have food, food on your plate. If you have a shelter over your head, if your needs are being met, then if you're living in a good land, then just praise God for that. Stay positive. And here's what's so amazing. When we stay positive and we avoid all these little things of our culture and all of these little things that seem to come in and weigh us down and, and do all this, when we stay positive, it, it does something to the toxicity of our life. See, when we take the, the goodness of God and the, the living water that comes from him and the joy of your salvation, it begins to change things. And in fact, the Bible says this in the book of Philippians chapter four. And now, dear brothers and sisters, he says, I want you to do one thing. He says, I want you to fix your eyes, right? Fix your eyes and your thoughts on what is true and what is honorable and what is right. And, and watch what it does to the toxicity of your heart. Think about the things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all the things you've learned and received from me, says in Philippians, and everything that you have heard from me and saw in me and doing, then the Lord of peace will be with you and all of a sudden your your heart will begin to be filled with the living water that comes. And things like this happen. Colossians chapter three says it this way, right? Since you have been raised to a new life in Christ, I love this, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of this earth, and watch all of a sudden when the truth of God's word, what it begins to do, the toxicity of your heart. Romans chapter 12 says it this way. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing, there's the key, changing the way you think. 
Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And the truth of God's word begins to continue to bubble as we go. Proverbs chapter 17 says this, a cheerful heart is a good medicine, but a broken spirit saps a person's strength. See the beauty of God. It is good medicine for our soul as we go. And it continues on in Philippians chapter two, do everything without complaining and arguing so that the one who can, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, and love it says, live clean and innocent lives as children of God, shining like a bright light in the world full of crooked and perverse people. And the Lord says, listen, if you'll just lean into me, if you'll let me transform your heart and change your mind, then all the negativity of this world begins to fade away. And you know what's so good? So our behavior becomes changed when our thinking becomes changed and our heart gets renewed. Here's the beauty. We live in a fallen world. And so negativity is still going to come and Karens are still going to be in your world. But here's the beauty. When you're filled with the Spirit, these don't enter into your heart and your soul and aren't toxic here. They're just on the surface. You know what? They're easy to flick away. And on and on you go. Because the challenge of this, right? The beauty is this. When you complain, you remain. But when you praise, you raise. So as we close our time today, I want you to encourage you to stand with me. And here's what I want to ask you. What is it in your life that you felt your heart moving towards complaining and bitterness? And where do you need to give God praise in the midst of that so you can get unstuck? Let's stand. Let's sing together.